So the film 1917 follows two British soldiers during World War I, Schofield and Blake, as they move across enemy lines and send a message. They're sent to send a message to a commander of a division who's about to send his men to attack the Germans, but it's actually a trap. If they get there in time, lives will be saved. If they don't, this could be a huge loss. Not to mention one of those soldiers' brothers is in that division. And it's just an amazing cinematic work of art. It's, it, it feels like one take as they f- you follow them on this scary journey behind em- enemy lines. And as in the process, you get to know their stories, their personality, uh, their weaknesses, and they just start to really develop this bond. Uh, they shore each other up in, in times of great hopelessness. It's a powerful film about the old-fashioned values of courage, loyalty, and honor. What is it about stories like that that draws us in? You can answer. (laughs) We want to be like that. I mean, think of all the great stories. The Lord of the Rings. Frodo, and I mean, all the great stories are stories of courage, loyalty, and honor. Probably all your favorite stories include those characters. I think that's what so draws us into the story of Jonathan and David. I believe this story, this is our purpose this morning, it gives us a fresh vision of what it means to live in courageous and faithful relationships as covenant people in the body of Christ. So let's pray. We need the Holy Spirit. Help, Lord. Thank you for your word that, and your spirit can overcome all of my uh, weaknesses to communicate that word today, and you can uh, overcome all of our weaknesses in hearing that word today. Your spirit is here. Open our hearts and minds. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm, I'm just a fanatic of the Bible Project, and here's a uh, sort of an overview of First and Second Samuel. And I know you can't read the details of that, but you can see two arcs. Do you see the two arcs? All right. This is a summary uh, of the story of Samuel and uh, Saul. And David. Notice the first arc that tells the story of the dramatic rise and fall of King Saul. You see that? While Saul is still in office, the Lord directs the prophet Samuel to anoint a marginal shepherd to be the next king. His name was David. David begins to win battles and grow in favor with the people, thus, the second arch. You can imagine how this affected Saul. This story of David and Jonathan takes place in the very overlap of the arcs, the fall of Saul and the rise of David. In the middle of this political pressure cooker, God knits the hearts of two men together in an unlikely and risky friendship. I think this is why we're so delighted by this. 
the crown prince, Jonathan, the son of Saul, destined to be the future king of David, and da- I'm sorry, of Israel, in the eyes of everybody, and David, the true king who's been anointed by God. Do you see the political hot mess that that could be? Please read with me from 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took him that day, I'm sorry, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul and Jonathan of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. I love the message translation of this text. Listen, by the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. Saul received David into his own household that day, no more to return to the home of his father. Jonathan, out of his deep love for David, made a covenant with him. He formalized it with, a sol- with solemn gifts, his own royal robe and weapons, armor, sword, bow, and belt. I love the metaphors here. The message says a bond was forged between them. The ESV says that their souls were knit together Uh, Covenant relationships don't happen in an instant. They are forged under pressure in the fires of adversity. Amen? In these covenant relationships, our souls are knit together. This is my picture of what it means to be knit together, tied together, and anchored to the rock who is who. That's a beautiful picture of the church. It's a beautiful thing, but it takes time. It takes vulnerability. It requires we learn one another's stories. It's messy. Can you point to a set of relationships in your life that have been forged in adversity? Do you long for a community in which your souls are being knit together like this in Christ? This is what it means to be the new family of Jesus. Now notice, with Jonathan... And David, this is not a natural bond. These two men had every reason to be what? Rivals. Jonathan, the son of Saul, is crown prince, whom everyone viewed as the future king. And David, I need to remind you, has been already anointed as God's choice for the future king. There are many reasons Jonathan could have been threatened by David. Yet they became covenant friends. I just want to tell you guys, the gospel creates bonds across barriers. Barriers of politics, race, age, social class, worship styles, personality types, even football teams. Go Packers! For you, Mike. 
There's a division in the house. I love this about my church. I love my church, by the way. Don't you love our church? We're not all alike. We're not all from the same clique or social tribe, but the bond of Jesus has brought us together. Amen? Amen. The gospel produces delightfully disruptive alliances. I mean disruptive in the sense that these new bonds don't fit nicely into the current tribal divisions of our culture. Jesus disrupts our cliques. Jesus said that loyalty to him would even possibly disrupt our, the intimate bond of family. During our visit to the Holy Land, Kathy and I met these two young men, and we have never been the same since. One is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and the other is a former Palestinian fighter whose own brother was killed by Israeli Jewish soldiers. These two men told us the story of how they have become bonded together as friends in the work of reconciliation. In one of the historically most violent corners of the West Bank. What an unlikely, risky friendship. And they risked so much because the people in their own tribes criticized them for being friends. Are you with me there? As they spoke of their respect and love for one another, Kathy and I were brought to tears. It was, a, it was like a holy moment. Courage, loyalty, honor. These two young men. Jonathan and David were two young men that had a delightfully disruptive friendship. And so the story continues in 1 Samuel. As David's fame increases, Saul's jealousy and resentment increases. Saul could see that the spirit had left him and was now on David, so he feared David. And over the next two chapters, Saul, the king, tries to kill David on no less than six times. And yet, Jonathan, son of Saul, remains David's number one advocate. Can you read this with me from... I believe chapter 19, and Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David. His deeds have brought good to you, for he took his life into his hand and struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause. Wow. Wow. And so one of the ways we honor one another in a covenant community is how we speak about them behind their back. Can you say this verse with me from Proverbs? Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. Your choice. Words are so powerful. According to Proverbs, words can kill. Many of us have seen the devastation and wreckage caused by gossip and slander in a community. I could tell you stories, but I won't. 
terrible stories, and it wasn't by non-Christians, it was by Christians in the community gossiping. And the damage was unbelievable. But words can also give life. I had a supervisor who would make a point to speak about his team positively behind our backs. He would gossip about us positively, usually with his peers, other senior pastors in our city. And we would kind of hear about this through the grapevine, through the other churches. Man, Mark thinks you guys are the best. (laughs) You see how life-giving that is? How encouraging that was? How do you speak of others? Here's a really great test. You know what I'm going to ask you. Would I say this if she was in the room? Would I say this if that group was in the room? It's always a really good test. Back to David and Jonathan. I was meddling there. So Jonathan and David come up with a plan to discern King Saul's designs for David to see if David needs to flee for good. The plan was this. David was to be intentionally absent for one of King Saul's banquets, which is a real offense in ancient Near Eastern culture to not be present when you're invited to a meal. Jonathan would watch for his father's reaction and communicate back to David, uh, actually communicate to his father David's regrets. If Saul is furious, Jonathan would send word to David so he can escape with his life. You guys with me? Jonathan then says to David, if I cannot persuade my father to make peace with you, here's my request, dear friend. Can you read this with me? If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, and Jonathan loved him as he loved his own soul. I love the message. It says, if I make... He's, He's talking to David. This is the son of the king talking to David, saying, if I make it through this alive, this giving regrets to you for not showing up at the banquet... Here's a man ready to sacrifice his life for his friend. Greater love has no man than he what? But if I die, I'm ready to die. Please, if I die, keep the covenant of friendship with my family forever. And when God rids the earth of David's enemies, he's talking about his dad, stay loyal to Jonathan. Jonathan repeated his pledge of love and friendship for David. He loved David more than his own soul. And the Hebrew word that is used in that passage for steadfast love is probably my favorite word in the whole Bible. It's called chesed. From the back of your throat, chesed. Can you say that? Makes you want to spit, doesn't it? It's a beautiful word. It's the word that describes the bond between these two young men. But more than anything in the Bible, it's the word to describe the character of God. Psalm 25 says, All the paths of the Lord are chesed, steadfast love and faithfulness. The word appears over and over and over again in the Psalms of David in praise of the Lord for his steadfast love. I I commend this to you. uh, Go online to the ESV translation and look up steadfast love 
It's just an amazing picture of the character of our God. Hesed is translated sometimes loving kindness, unfailing love. We sang about God's unfailing love this morning. Thank you, Matt. Um, tender mercy, goodness. It describes the covenant faithfulness of our Lord, expressed in his mighty acts of deliverance, protection, and forgiveness towards those he has freely chosen to love. It wasn't constrained or forced. It's a freely, it's a choice. Hesed is a choice. It sums up the whole biblical story, a God who enters into a covenant with a very flawed family to make them a blessing to the nations through his faithful son, Jesus Christ. That's the story, isn't it? It's the story of Hesed. And it's the story, it's the word described the relationship between these two young men. I need to point this out. A few contemporary interpreters have suggested this is an example of a same-sex erotic relationship. But this is a total misunderstanding of relations among ancient Near Eastern men, even modern Near Eastern men, particularly in a Torah-grounded Jewish culture. So this call to live in covenant love with one another is not just an Old Testament idea. Romans says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. One of the core practices of a covenant community is the making and the keeping of promises. This, what I'm going to say now, is profoundly countercultural. Can I talk to you honestly? When I make a promise to you and keep it, I'm choosing to limit my options. I'm choosing to limit my freedom. How un-American is that? Every time I've married a couple, I, I turn to the groom and I say, John, from today on, you are limiting your options. <laughs> I tell that to the bride also. In this world of abundant choice, we love to keep our options open. By the way, this, if you've ever tried to host a gathering and you need RSVPs, it is insane. That's another issue. <laughs> In a world where everyone wants to keep their options open, how do you do that? Can anybody relate to that? So RSVP for those events coming up. <laughs> when I make a promise to you and keep it, I am choosing not to back out when the going gets rough. Are you with me there? I am choosing essentially to honor you. Honor. Honor. Ethicist Lewis Smead says it this way, if you have a ship, you will not desert. If you have people, you will not forsake. If you have a cause, you will not abandon. Then you are like God. God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. When we keep our promises to one another, we reflect the heart of God. Amen? Promises are like the internal structure of a house. They provide a hidden framework for, for well-built relationships. Life together in marriages, in churches, and in families, and in communities depend on the quiet strength of promise-keeping. Where promises are made and kept, trust builds, intimacy grows. Where promises are broken, what happens? 
Betrayal and cynicism spreads like a cancer in a community. Where promises are avoided, relationships remain really shallow and unsatisfying. Christine Pohl, P-O-H-L, by the way, I highly recommend her, has written an excellent book on covenant relationships called Living into Community. She addresses this core practice of making and keeping promises. She said, we make promises to one another because we know that as human beings, we are often inconsistent. We find it hard to live in love without some assurances. And then she quotes Margaret Farley saying, commitment is love's way of being whole while it's still growing into wholeness. Can I say that again? Commitment is love's way of being whole while it's still growing into wholeness. Promises help us to stabilize our loves in the midst of the fickleness of our feelings. In the gospel, a promise-keeping God is revealed. A God who frees us to be promise-keeping people. We reveal that God to a broken and cynical world when we keep our promises to one another. Who has kept his promises to you? Who has kept her promises? Who has stood with you through thick and thin? I forever, I, I told him this week, I was going to bring him up in my sermon. Think of my friend Drek. I was a new, brand new teacher up in the Bay Area. I had, in a Christian school, I had five preps and no curriculum. Every night I was trying to figure out what I was doing the next day. It was insane. And I remember at, at, the one, at the end of one particular day, by the way, my seventh period class was 36th grade girls. <laughs> and I was trying to teach them about textual criticism and, and things like that. It was insane. And I... And I remember one day, I was literally, they were, I just said, be gone. <laughs> there wasn't like a, it was just, go. And the room was a disaster. Just desks all over and trash. And, and it was on a, a, a raised kind of a room. And I'm just sitting at my desk, and I got my head like this. And in comes this big six-foot-five guy, 275 pounds, and he squeezes into one of those little junior high desks in the front row. It's just me and him. And he's right in front of me, and I'm at the teacher's desk. And he's just sitting there with a smile. And there was pro- it felt like five minutes of silence. And he says, how are you, friend? And that began a 30-year friendship. He's become my Jonathan. Drek is the father of 10 kids. Oh, they're just the funnest family on the planet. All homeschooled and making a difference in the world. Drek has shown me what that honor, courage, and loyalty is all about. Back to King Saul's banquet. Sure enough, King Saul's furious by David's absence. Uh, By the way, this is right from the message. Saul explodes. And anger against his son and says, you son of a slut. That's what he said. Direct translation. (laughs) Serious. Don't you think I know that you're in cahoots 
with the son of Jesse, disgracing both you and your mother. For as long as the son of Jesse is walking around free on this earth, your future in this kingdom is at risk. Now go get him, bring him here. From this moment, he's as good as dead. And Jonathan stood up to his father and said, why dead? What's he done? Saul threw his spear at his son, trying to kill him. That convinced Jonathan that his father was fixated on killing David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on that second day of the feast. He did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Sometimes friendships bring grief as we see how our friends are being treated. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his farewell with David. And here's the description. David got up from his hiding place beside the boulder, then fell on his face to the ground. And then they kissed one another like good Middle Eastern men and wept friend over friend. David weeping especially hard. Jonathan said, go in peace. In other words, shalom to you. The two of us have vowed friendship in God's name, saying God will be bound, the, the bond between me and you and between my children and your children forever. And here's one of the risks of covenant love. Man, it really hurts when they end, when these relationships end, whether by separation or death. My first mentor in the faith, Rick Peterson, the one who first taught me and modeled for me the power of covenant relationships. He was like a father to me, but his life was taken in a tragic plane crash at 33 years old. It was crushing. When your soul is knit together with someone and you lose them, you lose a part of yourself, amen? And so David becomes a fugitive, hiding among the Philistines, going in disguise, pretending to be insane, hiding in desert caves. And all along, he's writing these beautiful psalms, by the way, which are in your Psalter. Psalm 34, 54, 56, 57. And the final encounter, if you go a couple chapters ahead between these two friends, is in 1 Samuel 23, 15. I just so love this. David's still a fugitive. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? And he said to them, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I'll be next to you. Unfortunately, very soon after that, Jonathan was killed in a battle with the Philistines. This is so much like the story of 1917. You've got to see, I can't tell you the last part of that story. <laughs> Friends, in covenant community, we help one another find strength in God. Amen? Amen? So whether it be the film 1917 or David and Jonathan, do you see why we're so drawn to stories like this? Oh, man. Do you hunger for relationships like this that are marked by courage, honor, and loyalty in a profoundly cynical culture? Relationships that strengthen your hand in God. Here's an opportunity, friends, like we always do when we hear God's word. 
we get to take it to the cross and make an exchange with Jesus. And I invite you to join me in this exchange work. I know I need to. It's an opportunity for us to give Jesus our unfaithfulness and receive from him his covenant love. Isn't that a beautiful exchange? You may have avoided committed relationships because you like to keep your options open or because you've been hurt in the past, but unfortunately this has left your relationships shallow. You may have broken promises to others, creating distrust and cynicism in your own community. Would you like to join me in this exchange? If you do, please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I now give you my unfaithfulness. It's an opportunity to repeat after me if you'd like to. Lord Jesus, I now give you my unfaithfulness. I exchange it for your covenant love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That I may love others as you love me. In my family, my church, and my community. Thank you for the cross. Where you bore the curse of all my betrayals. And all my failures to love others well. Thank you for the resurrection. Which gives me a sure hope. That I can change. Thank you for your undying covenant love. Amen. So my kids help me keep, keep me culturally current. If you, if, you're, if you have young adults, you understand what I meant by that. And when I asked my oldest son, uh, what music do you listen to that you think I would really like? And he says, Dad, you need to listen to Need to Breathe. And so we're going to play a song for you that pulls this whole story of courage, honor, and loyalty together. And then we'll do the benediction after. Can anybody say amen? Rise up for the benediction. We're a band of brothers and sisters, right? Speaking of that, I, I, speaking of long-term special friends, uh, some folks, I'm going to put, put them on the spot, Randy and Carrie Guzik, dear friends from my 18 years at Community Presbyterian Ventura are here. Can you raise your hand? Talk about loyal friend right back there. Can we welcome Randy and Carrie? Those are Jonathan's right there. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the covenant love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with y'all. Amen? Amen. Amen.